Hey there, it's me, Alex Toomer, founder of SaaStock and host of the SaaS Revolution Show. Somewhat jet-lagged as I'm recording this intro in a hotel room in Hong Kong uh, en route to Sydney for SaaStock Oceania. This is the second episode of the series, The Struggle, where we aim to tell part of the SaaS journey, which is not always told, the struggle to get traction. A struggle which sometimes ends in success, but other times in failure. My second guest is Emmerich Ernaud, CEO and co-founder of Agora Pulse. His story dates back to July of 2000, when as a successful business lawyer, Emmerich found first and a fundamental truth about the human existence. Money alone will never make you happy. Earning close to 17,000 euros a month, ka-ching. At the age of 27, Emmerich was already destined for a comfortable and wealthy life, but his heart said no. He started a business on the side with a friend of his. The idea they were working on was a social network, not too different from Facebook, which launched four years later. But as often the case, timing was key. Emmerich and his co-founder picked the wrong year to start this particular web business. What followed were 15 years of playing around with different ideas, a few pivots going back and forth between his law career and the business. The struggle never really subsiding. At times it felt pretty excruciating. Emmerich's personal life would take the toll on this, but he never let go. And this is the story of Agora Pulse, 18 years in the making. You know, after speaking to Emmerich on this and, and learning many new things about his business, you know, I'm, I'm truly in awe uh, of him, his determination, what he's achieved. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to uh, this episode of The Struggle, uh, Emmerich Ernol. Uh, CEO of uh, Agora Pulse. Welcome, Eric. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, uh, I'm glad that you actually sort of uh, you, you know reached out um, and offered to come on the uh, uh, on the show because actually, obviously, we've uh, we've not had that many returnees on the on the podcast. I think Patrick Campbell's been on uh, uh, been on twice. I can't remember if anybody else has been on twice, but you're. Uh, uh, coming on twice, but on a uh, on a different show. So we've obviously featured your your bootstrapping story and and the, the Agora Pulse story um, on the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, but now we kind of want to talk about, uh, I guess you know that first year of running Agora Pulse, even before that, um, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, just that that struggle of your journey that uh, I guess kind of you know many entrepreneurs have have gone through and can uh, can resonate with. But before we get into that, Emmerich, uh, I, I guess those that uh, don't know who you are, haven't listened to previous podcasts or seen, you know, uh, some of your talks at SASDOC. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what Agora Pulse is. So my name is Emmerich. I am a French citizen born in New York, which also gives me a U.S. passport. Not always a lucky thing because of tax reasons. But, uh, <laughs> and um, I used to be a business lawyer. That's why I started my career in 1995 and started my first company, which is the same company I still have today with the same co-founder in July of 2000. And I've been struggling between July and 2000, July 2000 and um, I'd say the end of 2015 <laughs> to get somewhere with a business. And um, the business we have today, Agora Pulse, started in 2011, at the end of 2011. And uh, it's a social media management software and it has 45 employees. And it took, yeah, it took four years to get to profit. 
um, break even. And, and it's been growing nicely since then. But all the years before that were a huge, long, painful struggle. So, so actually, this is something I, kn- I didn't know about, um, or something new I'm learning from, from you, because uh, we obviously I think we met at the first SaaS doc in 2016. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we've been on the podcast, we've had numerous conversations, uh, but I didn't know that you've been like struggling since, uh, since 2000, uh, to, to 2015. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, I understood that the first year of uh, Agora Pulse, you know, was challenging as it is, you know, probably with any bootstrap business or any business really. So tell me a little bit about that, that struggle that I didn't know about. Well, so I, the first thing that's an important point in understanding my struggle is I used to be a business lawyer and a very highly paid business lawyer. So I think at the age of 27, I was making close to 17,000 euros a month. And I was very successful. I had all the criteria of, uh, to be, to be successful business lawyer. I had, you know, studied in the U S I had two diplomas in business and law. I had like the perfect pedigree of someone who's going to make a lot of money and be very wealthy as a consultant, as as a service provider. But I was not happy in that life. And, And I learned very quickly that money is great, but money is not happiness. And you can make as much money as you want. If you don't totally fully enjoy and be passionate about what you do, at the end of the day, the happiness wears out and, and it's not good for you as a human being. So I always had that inside of me. I, I, I was a Boy Scout chief when I was like 16, 17, 18. I was organizing camps, you know, taking the kids, renting boats and doing crazy things. I, I love to be in charge. I love to have a team and to lead something, build a project. I always had that in me. And I thought when I was, you know, in five years into that, lawyer thing i thought okay if i want to have my own thing and leave my own thing and build my own thing i have a choice which is build my own law firm or just talk that job and do something completely different luckily i had a friend ben who is now who's been my co-founder for 18 years who was a web developer at the time 1999 the very early days of web developers they didn't even know they were web developers yet but uh, and uh all self-taught and stuff and um you know we met had a lot of discussions and chat and came up with an idea that we wanted to build so i quit my job and i started that that was july of 2000 then the bubble burst beginning of 2001 and you know the whole story was a nightmare and you know with the fun the funny thing is that the product we we launched in in late 2000 was a product that was based on the premises that Facebook was based on when he when he launched four years later, like basically creating a social network for people who have a relationship in the, in real life. Because in 2000, all the communities they were all about passion shared, but there was no there was nothing online for families, friends, alumni, you know, people who know each other in real life. So that was the premise, which obviously. It's funny because a lot of other companies have done that after after us, but we picked the wrong year and the wrong country brands to do it. And from that point forward, um, I have been bouncing around, going back to the law firm for a couple of years, still doing the business at night and weekends, leaving the law firm again, running other businesses for ex-clients of mine, keeping the business one day a week, evenings and nights. You know, I think my marriage didn't resist to that crazy life of, you know, having a day job and having a night job with my own business and trying to keep it alive because he was not making money enough to pay ourselves, but he was making something mm-hmm. and there was some kind of growth and I didn't want to let it go. I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to kill it. So I kept it all these years. I was, you know, doing the accounting, 
uh, in the train, going on vacation. I was doing all that crazy stuff on the side. So all my free time was was eaten by the business and my, my daytime for until 2007 was used at least four days a week to have another job to just, you know, get money to survive. And it's only in 2008 that I went back full time for that project at the time, which was a different project. It was a SaaS product. It was social, i.e. communities and, and, and blogs, forums, communities, file sharing, whatever, what, what social was in 2005 and six. But it's always been in the same space, which, which is quite funny. And uh, I, in, in all that time, I think the first salary I paid myself via the business, thanks to the business, was probably in 2009, and it was minimum wage. So, so it tells you something about all the years before. Free work. Uh, and in 2011, was that right? Was, uh, was when yes. uh, Agora Pulse was, was, was formed? Was right. So how did you you pivot from this kind of social uh, social network platform to the social uh, community to Agora Pulse? Very simple. Um, the pro- the project, the SaaS product we had before, was the equivalent of a product that the old people, the old guys from the web, probably remember. That was called Ning and Ing, and it was a product that was co co funded, founded, and funded by Mark Andreessen at the time. And uh, Gianna Bianchini, I think, uh, was his girlfriend, if I remember well. And that was a product that allowed people to create their own Facebook, their own YouTube, their own whatever, their own social network. Mm-hmm. And um, what we were, do- and we actually started that, you know, four years or five years before they did, but, you know, whatever. We were in France and it was the bad time. So timing is everything. That I learned the hard way. And uh, we were trying to sell that idea of build your own community and own your own community to businesses. That was, the, I think, the second or third pivot of that initial project from, uh, from 2000. And uh, I was you know, going to enterprises and big insurance companies, banks, and all those kind of companies in, in Paris. And I was trying to sell them, yeah, you know, own your community. You have a community of fans and passionate clients and you need to own them and to have, you know, community management and animate that and give them, you know, a, a place to meet and share their, their path, their common passions. And that will strengthen the bond and the link they have with your brand. And it was hard. It was a hard sell, incredibly hard. And 2009, I think Facebook started the, the fan pages at the time. I think it was about in 2009 and everybody was like, Oh, Facebook, Facebook. And they were, only talking about that, I, I don't want to create my own community. I want to go on Facebook because now I, have, I can have my fan page and I can basically capture my community there and it will be mine. And then I was, no, it won't be yours because it will be owned by Facebook. You have to build your own thing. So you actually own the emails and the data and stuff. And, you know, don't build on, on, on rented land, and which all meaningful speech, but they didn't give a damn. <laughs> they didn't care. They didn't want to buy. So very few bought, so we were making, I don't know, at the time, 140,000 euro a year. <laughs> this makes me laugh today. Um, and I had such a hard time trying to convince them to not go on Facebook, but build their own thing. And in 2000, uh, early 2010, I, I went to the office. I went back to the office after another of those in, incredibly hard sales meeting. And I told Ben, Ben, I'm, I'm, we're going to be crushed. 
this Facebook thing, it was 2010. It, it's, it's a huge wave. We either surf that wave or we're going to be crushed by it. And that's when the, the, the light bulb went on. It's okay. We have, we have to stop building against Facebook. We have to build with Facebook because mm-hmm. it will be much more efficient to surf that wave than resist it. And luckily, I spoke at a conference at one point, and someone came to see me at the end of the conference and told me, hey, you talk about social media, community is very interesting. Do you do apps on Facebook? I, and I looked at her and I said, yes, of course. We've never done one. We can do that. No problem. And then I came back to the office and I told my two guys in the tech team, I said, hey, guys, we need to learn that Facebook API thing because we have a client. <laughs> I don't want to take the money. <laughs> and so we built it first. It was a contest. It was a, a photo contest or kind of, it was a game on Facebook. And we built that. And then because that got successful, we got another one and another one and another one. And we started building those apps on Facebook, contest quizzes, photo contests, um, sweepstakes and stuff. And, you know, for a year we did that. It was basically, we became an agency building stuff on Facebook. And at one point we said, this is a horrible business. Uh, the margins are shit. The clients are awful. It's, you know, we don't make a lot of money and clients are, you know, I mean, people who run agencies who listen to the pod- that podcast will know what it means to run an agency and have to deal with clients requests all the time that are not always um, super smart, but whatever. And uh, we decided we don't want to do that. It's a, it's, a, it's too tough, and and we don't enjoy. It. It's not a passion of ours. What what's our passion is to build a platform, a SaaS platform. That's what we've done for ten years. That's that's what we know. Let's platformize these apps and Facebook stuff we've done. So that's how Agorapulse got born. Basically, it 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 appeared out of the the need we had to change the business model from build your own stuff to build on Facebook. And on the realization that, yeah, but building on Facebook bespoke in a service manner is going to exhaust us and we don't enjoy it. So let's put that in a platform self-service where people can come in and, and, and instead of selling that, that next Facebook quiz for 10,000 euro, we're going to sell it for, for 99 bucks a month. And that's how it got started. And, and so in 2011, is it just you and Ben? Uh, at the oh, time. It, was a, it was a bit more than that. I think we were five or six. Five or six. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so when Agora Pulse was born, you're five or six people. You've got some revenue coming in because you've moved from the agency model into the, the SaaS model. Mm-hmm. Like how much recurring revenue did you have at that point when you, like, zero or... 10K, 8,000, 10,000, something like that. Okay. Uh, I mean, not too bad to, I mean, to, to, to start with. You had something to start with. Yeah. Um, what was the plan then? Agora Pulse is the new brand. We're a SaaS company now. We're not an agency. You know, we've got five mouths to feed. We've got a little mm-hmm. bit of recurring revenue. What was the, you know, it's a self-service product, I think, like back then, right? Yeah. What was the, the, the go-to-market plan like, to, to, to get from 10K uh, MRR to uh, wherever you wanted to go? 50K. The go-to-what? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea at the time what you, what you just talked about. I, I, I was in survival mode. I was in the struggle for 10 years. I, you know, I, I was in that phase of, I, ju- I just need to find something that works. I, I don't care how. I don't care. I don't have any plan. I don't know how it's going to work. But... We've been stagnating at 120,000, a year. Mm-hmm. And it's been three years and four years. And I'm, I'm not even, I don't even know if I was paying myself yet because I think I paid myself minimum wage and I stopped paying myself for a year or two. Then I paid myself mm-hmm. minimum wage again. It was, it was that kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. And my, let me tell you that story because it's a very funny story when I think about it. I, I told Ben, I said, okay, Ben, we're going to start this Agora Pulse thing. 
Um, we're we're going to aim for forty nine a month average, you know, RPU average revenue per mm-hmm. user. In a year, we need to have one thousand user paying us forty nine bucks on average, i.e., forty nine thousand a month. That we, if we cannot get to that in one year, I'm done. I'm fed up. I'm, I've been exhausting myself, kidding myself, divorcing the whole nine yards for the last twelve years. 10 years, um, I, I, I'm done. We, we either make something that works because we've tried too many times. I just can't take any more of it. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is it took us three years to get to 49K, not one year. So even, even if I was in, in the, at the peak of the struggle and I was completely done and cooked and baked and, and didn't want more of it, I, you know, after a year, we, I don't know, we were probably at 21 or 25 or something like that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give myself another year because it's moving up and to the right. It's way too freaking slow, but it's going up and to the right, so I'm going to keep up going. <laughs> so, it t- so it took three years instead of one to get to the, the, the number or the goal that you set yourself of the 49K yeah. uh, MRR. Uh, and you said like that uh, you know, sometimes you're paying yourself minimum wage, sometimes you're not paying yourself a, you, you know, anything like out of necessity. But how, how do you survive you know, as, a, as an individual, you know, um, you know with, with no salary? Is it, you know, it's family money, friends, wife? Like, well, what, what, what do you do? Like, well, uh, three sources of money. Uh, the first so- source is at certain time during that 2001 and 2009, during that period, at certain time, I, I, I had another job. I was, you know, working four days a week running yeah. a company someone who trusted me and knew me and wanted me to be there for them and protect their interests. That's basically what I was doing. And um, every time I stopped that and went back to the business, I, you know, I dealt with them say, okay, fire me so I can have an employment because we have an employment in France and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty good and it's pretty generous and it lasts for two years. So when you, you know, when you've had a job at, let's say, 4,000 euro a month or 5,000 euro a month net, your unemployment is going to be 70% of that or 75% of that for two years. So like you can live on that for a long time. It's not well, you don't, you're not wealthy in yeah. any shape or form, but you have enough to pay for the rent and the food and, you know, not, no fancy vacation in Mauritius and stuff, but at least you can survive. Yeah. So that paid probably for two years. Then you have a wife who is working <laughs> And uh, while she's working and you're making an employment, you're saving a thousand a month or something, and that's that creates a little bit of savings. So when the unemployment is gone and you can't pay yourself and your wife cannot pay for the entire thing, you have twenty five k in the bank and you can eat that money to survive. So he was always, you know, going shopping at the supermarket and counting for everything. Like, oh, this pack of ham is cheaper than that one. I'm going to take the cheap one. <laughs> Of course, thank God, I'm not, I don't have to do that anymore. I know I go shopping in the grocery store and I just buy whatever I want to buy. I don't even look at the price. But at the time, I looked at every price tag on every product I was buying. And that's how you survive. You're, you're super careful with how you spend your money. And I, the, the other thing I'd say, which always has saved me, and I'm still a big believer of that, is you have to stay very, very... Um, um, uh, there's a word for that when you don't spend a lot of money frugal that sort of thing yes that's exactly the word i was looking for i've always been frugal even when i was a business lawyer making 17k a month i was saving 12 of those 17 like i i, I was I, i've never bought bmw when i was 25 or i don't own a house i don't own anything and i've always bought used car you know like i just seen a car with you know four wheels and uh and, a, and you're not like floyd mayweather 
yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's me. I, I'm not, a, I don't, I don't need to show off or own expensive things. I don't care. I, 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 I value my end goal much, much more than owning a big car, a fancy car. And, and so going back to the, the, this first year then of, uh, of Agora Pulse, obviously the, the first year goal was to get 49K uh, MRR. Uh, that took three years. Like where were you at the end of year one, this slow and up and to the right? Where, what, uh, what was the MRR? Uh, I think in pure MRR, we were probably at, you know, below 20 for sure. And, and you said that you're like in, in survival mode. Uh, you know, we, we laughed about the, the, the lack of a go-to-market plan, uh, go plan back then. I mean, like similarly, uh, obviously SaaS stock is not a SaaS business, but, you know, the first year, you know, it is survival mode. We didn't necessarily know what we were doing and we're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what yeah. sticks, right? And then yeah. we're kind of re- re- refining it. So was it a kind of similar thing, just kind of like let's just try lots of shit? And to see what, what what's going to work and what's going to bring in customers. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had I had no I, I didn't have the first penny to spend on advertising, so there was no advertising involved. Um, I had time, and I had I was working seventy hours a week and more, so I, I used that time to write content. I started the blog. I was the one writing all the blog posts in the early in the first two years, I suppose. I'm I'm pretty sure. So content, you know. Emailing to influencers in the US, I knew or got to know and, and tell them about it. It's my latest piece of content, if you like it, and like doing all the hard, you know, hands in the dirt kind of work myself. I, I, you know, doing sales demos for people who were wondering if they would pay 29 a month. And I was, I was doing freaking sales demos for people paying 29 a month. But I think about it now, it makes me laugh because I would never ever do that again. But I would have done any I everything that came at me that was potential revenue, I was I was I would bite it and, and, and try to get something out of it. I'd say there was one thing we did that worked okay between 2011 and 2013. It was content, it was the blog. Because at the time having a blog talking about social media and and having some you know level of quality was was good. Now it's worthless, but at the time it was it was it was a good one. Okay, so the content was something good. Um, maybe like, you, you know, going, I mean, you, uh, being the founder kind of leading, uh, the, I guess the, the, the sales charge. So we can understand and relate to like, obviously, you know, getting on and de- uh, uh, with, with the demos, uh, even if they're going to pay like 29 bucks, but it's not something that, you know, is scalable and you wouldn't do it now. I mean, similarly, I think I can, I, I, I can remember a conversation we had with Michael Litt from Vidyard, who was on one of the early, or like, I think the first year of the podcast. Uh, and the first year, you know, he was making a hundred phone calls a day, like every day, you know, just to try and get, you know, meetings with clients and shit like that. It doesn't scale, but sometimes you, you've got to do the stuff out of necessity, but content yeah. worked for you. Yeah. Um, what were the, some of the things that, uh, I mean, you mentioned obviously like getting on, uh, on the, on, on the demos, but some of the things that maybe didn't work for you and in kind of like hindsight, you wish that maybe you hadn't done like in the first year. In terms of marketing and go-to-market, yeah, in terms of like just the growth of the you know the business, something that uh, that that you were maybe focusing on that actually you you know maybe wasn't the best sort of use of your your, your time. Was there anything specific? Well, the the biggest mistakes we made in the early days were one product related. I mean, we made all the mistakes you can make on the product. You know, everything 
and then we're still having we're we're still paying back some of that technical debt that we started at the time. Like for example, for a long time we didn't have any email sign up. It was just a Facebook sign up. And when you work B two B, a lot of businesses you know will not work with a Facebook sign up. So you lose a lot of business and you leave a lot of money on the table. Um, you know, on the, on the product side, it was it was Facebook only, and it took a long time to add Twitter and Instagram and everything else to just become. Um, a real social media management solution. In the early days, it looked interesting to build those Facebook app contest promotion and stuff because, and it, it, you know, I didn't give any thought to it. It came at me because that girl I met in that conference told me, "Can do you build Facebook apps?" And I said, "Yes, yes," because I need the money. And then I go and I didn't, I didn't give it any thought. But it was actually a very bad business because people come, they play their contest and promotion, they stay for two months, not even two months sometimes. Then they leave. And the churn level was through the freaking roof. It was 20% a month or 25% a month. It was crazy. And that was a bad business. So we basically constantly had to pivot away from a business that we went in by complete randomness because we were trying to survive and we didn't have any plan in, in mind. And we were pivoting from that because, oh, shit. Facebook contest and promotion, they turn like, fuck, we're never going to grow. We have to change. And then you have to change everything because, of course, you have to change the product. But you also have to change the branding, the website, the way you are perceived, you know, the, the image, how Google understands you. So when you're ranking very high for a Facebook photo contest and not for a social media management tool, how, do you, how long does it take for Google to change its, the way it's looking at you and the way it presents you in the, in the search results? And all that stuff, I had absolutely no idea about. And it was all a big pile of mistakes, one after the other. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you ever have to like, make some tough decisions in the first year? Uh, I mean, so you mentioned that um, like when you pivoted to Agora Pulse, you were five, six people. You know, uh, did you remain five or six people throughout that year? Did you have to you, you know, let go of a couple of, uh, of colleagues and kind of streamline it? Uh, or were there any, any other examples maybe of, uh, of tough decisions made? No, I mean, all the tough decisions we, we applied to ourselves first. So basically when there was a, a short a cash shortfall, uh, we would stop being ourselves, Ben and I. You know, we would take all the hit on us because we believed and thought that the founders are responsible for their own mess. And you have to, you have to, be, you have to be the one to, to pay for your own mess. And we were, we were such a small company, you know, when you have a, a five people company and you have three developers, one of them being co-founders, you have two developers basically, and one support person and one, you know, marketing assistant or something like that. Um, you, you cannot um, get rid of one of them because there are, there are already too few of them in, in, in any way. And, and you know how hard it would be to replace them a year, a year from that, that moment when you need to rehire a developer because now you can, what would be, it's hell. Even now, hiring developers, even when you have a you know good company in good shape and stuff, um, it's hard. So at that level of being a nobody, not making money, letting them go would be the biggest mistake we could have made. I mean, we we had to basically do everything we could to keep them around. How did how did you manage expenses? Um, you know, in that first year, like you, you know, did you did you have an office? Were you at co-working? Were you working out of cafes? Working from home? Um, you know, other expenses? Uh, you know, operationally? Um, you know, how did you how did you manage those to to uh, to survive? Yeah, we had a we had a co-working space where we had one block uh, for us and i think we were paying 1500 a month at the time and we took that i when we took that i think we were already at 10k or 11k and i remember at the time it felt crazy to spend that much money in an office i think we're paying 10 times that now 
But it, but I I looked at the place and I said, well, Emmerich, this is the place where you're going to spend 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday. And you guys are also going to spend 10 hours a day or, or nine. You have to invest something into that. You cannot not invest 1500 $1, a month into a nice place to work. It would be a dumb thing to do. So that's why we made that decision. And I've always remembered every time we've moved to a new office, it was always a bit high in terms of cost. I was like, ah, you know, I was a little stressed, but I was always thinking, Emmerich, this is an investment. This is the place you and your team are going to spend most of their lives, <laughs> at least the awakened life. Uh, you have to invest in something nice. So we've, all, we've always spent a little extra bucks on making sure that we had a good place to work. Did you ever uh, consider in that first year, because you, you're a bootstrap business, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And did you ever consider in the first year, like, do you know what, we should raise venture capital and, you know, obviously that will then give us, uh, you know, 18 months of runway, um, you know, because obviously some founders uh, um, go down that path. Some may become obsessed and think that's the only option to them and actually potentially spend critical time trying to, you know, raise capital when actually they, they could be spending it in other areas of the business. But what was your thoughts in the first year? Yeah, we tried many times. But you know the story I just told you? No, no VC wants to hear that story. It's a horror. It's a horror story for them. Yeah. yeah. What VCs want to hear is, especially at that stage, in the early stage. Now we are at a different stage where the the, the VCs are happy with a you know good, decent, yeah. slow growth business. When you're at you know several millions, and you tell them I'm going, I'm going to grow fifty percent a year over the next three four years, they're happy with that. Mm-hmm. But when you're starting and you have nothing. They want the moon, you know, they want like, show me you can be 10x, 20x, 30x, and show me you can be huge, big, disrupting, owning an industry, because there's the level of risk is so high that for them to be excited and motivated about your business, they have to believe that it can be huge. And frankly, <laughs> I was not even convinced myself, so it was quite hard to convince someone else that I could build something huge. So it never worked, and we tried, we did try did, but, did you did you ever find that a little bit like uh, soul destroying uh, in terms of getting the nose and trying? But as you said, I mean, maybe because you weren't necessarily convinced yourself, where you're like, okay, well, I can kind of see why why they're not investing. Yeah, and when I tried, I was you know I was putting together a story I barely believed in about how big it could become, and and putting together an Excel spreadsheet that was making me rich where I didn't really believe I could make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of situation where you just you just shouldn't be trying to raise money in the first place. So we got I got a couple of rich friends, the one I used to run the business for in you know mm-hmm. two thousand four five six. Uh, who, who helped me as business angels in the in those early difficult years? And those, you know, basically they, they kept telling me, "I don't invest in your business. I don't understand what you're doing. I invest in you because I, I like you and I think you're a good person." And mm-hmm. thankfully, they were rich, so it was yeah. easy for them. But trying to raise VC money in that in that kind of situation, like, don't even think about it. It's a waste of time. And and you personally, as the founder and CEO, you know, who's putting all this blood, sweat, tears, you know, the 70 hours plus, you know, per week in it for the first year and just really kind of seeing this, you know, very slow growth, but, you know, there is growth. Like, how... how how did it affect you? you? You know, were you fit and healthy? Were you sleeping well? Uh, you know, was it a, a terrible time for you? I mean, how, how did it affect you? Uh, I guess kind of your your, your mental uh, health and physical health and well being. 
Yeah, all of the above. Didn't yeah. sleep well, didn't eat healthy, didn't didn't do any sport. <laughs> <laughs> Working all the time just to... The, the, the biggest mistake, but it's hard because it's human psychology and I don't know, I don't even have a recipe to avoid that. But the biggest problem is you are in the struggle. You are in the middle of the tunnel. It's all dark. And when you turn your head to the left, to the right, to the front, to the back, it's all dark. There's no light. You don't know where to go. And the way you feel is the more work I will put into it, the more chances I'll have to see, to eventually see where the light is. And because you don't know what to do. Uh, now I know more. I know better. I have more experience. I would be less stupid. But when it's your first business, your first venture, you're basically in the dark. You have your hands in front of your eyes and you're trying to walk without falling, but you don't even, you don't, you're not even sure on what you're walking. <laughs> and that's the truth. And, and yeah, it's stressful. And, and I, it's very, I was very anxious. I was very, um, I, I, yeah, I had a hard time sleeping. I heard, I didn't have any kind of balanced life. I mean, work-life balance. <laughs> there was no work-life balance. There was work-work balance. Yeah. It, it maybe it's peculiar to me because I used to be a successful business lawyer and I had that huge fear inside me. Like I think I hope I didn't do all that to end up poor <laughs> because, because I could have been wealthy if I had followed that path of being a successful business lawyer. And I had that stupid feeling that I could become a successful startup owner and have a web company that's worth a lot of money and be more successful by quitting that path and picking another path. But shit, it's been, it's been hell for the last 10 years. Is it going to stop being hell at some point? Yes. And so that when you, you have to know that to understand my struggle and my path, because when you have that behind you, then, you know, failure is more difficult because not only you're failing, but you're also, confirming that you made a bad decision <laughs> so it's it's double double hard and fast forward to now uh emmerich so obviously the, the first year we, we uh or, or the business you, you know it was at, at 20k mrr your initial first year goal of 49k mrr wasn't hit until you know three years down the line um where are you now um what, what's the picture for uh, agora pulse now yeah. So after that 50, that's 50 KMR, things started to accelerate. So we moved from 50 to 100 in the next year. Then we moved to 100 to 240 the following year and moved to 240 to I, 2017. I'm not sure. Um, it's probably 370. So 2000, 2017 was a tough year. We only made 100K more. Uh, mostly because we rebuild the product from the ground up, and those are tough years. If you've talked to people who've re rebuilt their product, you know how tough it's been. And uh, 350 to 530, or maybe 550 this year. So, like, we're at 530 something now. So, we're probably going to end up at 560 or five, between 545 and 565. So, that's where we are now. So, basically, we were at 100 at the end of 2015. Uh, so we were at 50 at the end of 2014. So between 2014 and 2018, we moved from 50 to 560. What, what do you, was, is there anything that you can pinpoint to, you know, getting on that uh, inflection point of growth? So you've gone out of the slow SaaS ramp of de death to actually yeah. now, you know, each, each year you're pretty much, you know, doubling your, uh, or almost, you know, doubling your, your, your MRR, right? So what, what was the, what, what, what was there any one turning point uh, that, that you can pinpoint or was it a combination of things? 
Yeah, well, there are two, two answers to your question. It's mostly a lot of turning points, of very small turning points. There's not one big turning point and then suddenly it's paradise. You move from hell to paradise. But at the same time, there are big decisions that have a huge impact uh, once they are nailed and settled. And the big decisions are picking the right product. So, for example, when I told you Facebook ads and promotions were a shitty business and we decided to pivot and to add Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all the other stuff, it took time, it's whatever. That was the right decision because now we have a product that people are using on a daily basis and not one month per year. So that, that kind of big, fat decision is super important and you have to make the right one. Um, the second thing is you need to be obsessed about the right things and the founders have to be obsessed about the right things. And, and the first thing you need to be obsessed about is the product. And it's a combination of things. It's a great product, but also building the right product back to Facebook ads versus social media management. If, if you, if you focus a lot on your product, but you're building the wrong product, that's generating a, the, the, the wrong business model, or that's, that has the wrong business model outcome whatever the hours you're putting into it, they're worthless. So picking the right thing and, and, and being obsessed about it and, and doing the best possible product you can make with the resources you have, that's number one. Number two is always be obsessed about, obsessed about the customers and the users. Like talk to them, talk to them, talk to them, understand them and try to give them the best, you know, the best of what they want. Uh, so prioritize, you know, it's hundred users are going to tell you hundred different things, which are the ones that are the most important, most, most impactful. So always be in that between the product and the users and always have that, um, obsession about how can I do something more and better for them? So they like me more and they pay me more. And, um, the, the last thing I would say is always work today in terms of marketing and communication and awareness and all that stuff, do the work today that will produce results in a year. And that's the hardest thing to do because especially when you're struggling, because when you're struggling, you want the result right now, right? You want, I'm going to write that blog post and I want hundred clicks and hundred visitors and 50 free trials tomorrow or next week. Like I want to do I want to put in the work that's going to produce results right now because I'm struggling right now and I want to get out of it. And it, and it, you have to acknowledge that and understand that's what's going on inside of you and that's your emotional state. But at the same time, if you keep reacting to your work and to what you need to do and what you need to invest your time on by chasing this, that short-term result, you're never going to deal that thing you will need next year to be out of the struggle 12 months from now. And that's something, weirdly enough, I've been good at without even, without even knowing I was good at that, but I've, I've always worked on stuff that started to produce results a long time after that, after I started to work on them. And thinking after those 12 months, thank God I started this project a year ago because now it's working and it's generating results and it's fruitful. And if I had to start it now, it would only work a year from now and I would be stuck. So having that balance between I'm going to do stuff that's good for right now and I'm going to do stuff that's an investment in the future, so next year doesn't look at uh, doesn't look like this year is 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 an important thing you need to keep constantly thinking about. I think that's uh, that's a good place to kind of wrap up the show before I ask one one kind of separate uh, question. But um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like great story there, Emmerich. Like really uh, appreciate and and again, I, I, I learned on the call that actually it wasn't a first year struggle. It was you know pretty much uh, a, a fifteen year struggle, like several pivots, 
Um, and uh, again, I mean, to sort of kudos for that, I, I guess, kind of drive, you know, to, uh, you know, continue to, uh, to, to, to build and carry on, you know, each day um, and, and get it right. And, uh, you, you know, it seems now, obviously, you've got it right. You, you're at the, the 550K MRR. It's a pretty remarkable achievement, you know, uh, uh, effectively, you know, bootstrap business. Um, and so really appreciate you just sharing those insights. And so what uh, I guess our audience can really kind of understand and relate to just the, uh, the how hard it is, you know, uh, to, to, to really kind of run like any business, but especially uh, a SaaS business and a recurring revenue business. So uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to share that story with our, our listeners today. My pleasure. I, I think those kind of stories have to be shared because people who are going through that struggle, they need to they need to hear that they're not the only one, and a lot of other people have been there too or are going through that as well. So, and and one thing I would say is try to find a mentor, a coach, someone you can talk to because it's hard. You know, you can't talk about that to your spouse; they're leave, they're going to leave. You can't talk about that to your best friends because after the tenth time, they will be fed up and they won't be willing to see you anymore. You can't talk about that to your employees; definitely not. So you're you're usually pretty lonely in that in that struggle. And finding someone who's been through the struggle obviously will be happy to listen to and to give you some support and maybe some clarity and some direction it's probably the best thing you can do yeah no great advice well uh, on that note uh emmerich you know thanks for being a, a great guest uh look forward to seeing you again at some point i think in uh, 2019 at one of one of the sas.com conferences um and uh, yeah just uh, thank you for, for sharing your story and sharing your struggle uh, and, and congrats on, on where you are today I already bought four tickets for Sastock Dublin next year, so we'll see each other. Thanks. No, appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the second episode of The Struggle. I encourage you to check out the episode I recorded with Emmerich in 2016 of the SaaS Revolution show, which gives a few more details into the first few years of Agora Pulse and, and bootstrapping. You can also watch a presentation Emmerich gave at last year's SaaS stock, which was incredibly popular also. We'll link to both in the description. If you have a story of the struggle that you'd like to share with us, get in touch by emailing podcast at sasstock.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.